We are in Texas for the week, uh, a little more than a week, I guess, for house sitting and dog sitting. And I love dog sitting because Ozzy, uh, Oswald, uh, is just the best dog. And it's as close as I guess I'm going to come to having a dog of my own. So I get to enjoy to come down and do that. Uh, Ozzy's a golden something. Uh, not very big dog. I guess a medium-sized dog, whatever. And I keep asking my cardiologist if he wouldn't write a prescription for me that I need to have a dog, but... He hasn't bought into that as yet anyway, so I keep working on him. Uh, our kids are having some work done here on one of their bathrooms, and so we're just kind of hanging out and um, making sure that the house doesn't walk away while they're gone. Um, and so they are out floating around someplace in the Atlantic Ocean on a cruise. Must be nice. You know, we've never taken a cruise. Um, I think only our daughter now hasn't taken cruise. The rest of the kids all have. Uh, you know, maybe we'll do that sometime in the future on a off-season. As I know our son said that if they were to go uh, two or three weeks from now, the, their cruise would be about half of what they're paying. So for now, we just have to be content sitting around the pool and sipping iced tea. Uh, going to do a study on a book that we had gotten a while back and working on podcasts, trying to maybe get ahead a little bit. And if you have any suggestions for what you may like to hear in a podcast, uh, you can go to my Facebook page uh, and look for As Is Ministries and um, just write me a note there and let me know. Uh, I know this fall I hope to do a series on the cults. I know I've said that before. So hopefully this year will be the year that I get that done finally. I was going to bring my material to work on that, but didn't bring it this time. So let's begin. Let's pray. Father, we just give you thanks that you are with us. Uh, wherever we are, whether we're in our home or traveling someplace or uh, wherever we go, we, we're never out of your presence. And Lord, I just rejoice in that. You're not some idol that we have to carry around uh, if we want to worship it, that you are with us always and forever. So Lord, you're with us now as we uh, begin this study. And so, Father, I just ask for your blessing on the, the words that I speak and the words people hear, and that, Lord, you will uh, let them put it to work in the way you want them to. So, Lord, just open our eyes, open our ears and our minds and our hearts, and, Father, just let the Holy Spirit guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we're going to complete the book of James, okay, looking at James chapter 5. Now, James has had a lot of good instructions for us, how to live as a better Christian uh, individually, you know, how we can be better Christians, and as the body of Christ, how we can be doing better there, because there's always room for improvement. So, James gave us some answers, maybe, to things that we've been wondering about, and he's maybe raised more questions 
I know that happens with me when I read something and uh, it sometimes just makes me wonder, well, what about this? Or why did that happen? Or, you know, all those kinds of questions. So I'm not sure if this chapter will make things any clearer or make things cloudier, but let's get started. James chapter 5, verse 1. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the ministry that is coming on you. Now, I don't believe that this is a word to all rich people. Uh, and we'll see that in the, the coming verses. But James is not is not saying that it's a sin to be rich. Uh, I know some people that are very well off. Uh, I, I would call them rich. And they're very strong Christians. Uh, they're always doing things for other people, doing things for the church, uh, giving in any way that they can. I know they give a lot more than I'm certainly able to. And just helping out in any way they can. They probably do more and help more than a lot of believers that aren't able to give financially. But, you know, they could be doing more uh, in other ways. So what James is saying here is he's speaking to the, the non-believing rich people. Uh, he's saying, you non-believing rich people, your day is coming. And that is true. So in the next verses, he really expands on this. Okay, in verse 2, it says, Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. So it's... The moth thing is just another way of saying that your wealth is rotted. Okay, it would be your wealth is corrupted or your, your wealth is unprincipled or underhanded. And we know that that happens. Okay, every once in a while we read or maybe see on the news or maybe even know someone that gets caught doing things improperly with funds from their business or their employer or the school, or the church, or the fire department, or whatever it may be, that sometimes people just, you know, see that and think they can get away with it, I guess. So it's because they want to be rich. They want the things that rich people have. They want that rich person lifestyle. There used to be a TV show back in the 80s and 90s, I think it was, uh, it's called Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. It was on TV for 11 years. It would take you to the, the mansions of these people in their vacation homes or their their place in France or, you know, whatever. Uh, you'd get onto their yachts and see what they have. Uh, maybe uh, take a peek in their, you know, huge uh, RV that they have that, you know, costs more than most houses or you know we get to see their vehicles you know the expensive cars of now and, and maybe um, older cars and so you would get to see all that and some people would see that and say I want that that's how I want to live and so there's some people that would go to no lengths to a attempt to achieve that. 
Okay, James says, the moths have eaten your clothes. Well, for a rich person, they would just throw those clothes out and buy some more. But have you ever noticed the clothes that rich people wear? You know, you don't buy it at Walmart. A lot of it you don't even buy at the shops in the mall. You know, it's just these specialty places. And they have designer everything. Designer purses, designer jeans, designer ties, uh, designer shoes. I mean, they have Michael Jordan Nikes that was signed by Michael Jordan in person, not just run off on a machine. Well, those were not the things when James was writing this, obviously, but there was still rich clothes or people that rich people, clothes that rich people wore. Proverbs 31 woman, it says she is clothed in fine linen and purple. Luke 16, 19, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen. Daniel 5, 29, then Belshazzar's, at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple. Okay, so it makes you think, oh, there must be something to this purple stuff. Well, it was pretty rare in nature. I mean, you can get, you know, different colors from different plants, uh, different fruits or vegetables. And to get that purple color, it wasn't as easy to get. And... So it was something that was in demand, something that carried a lot of prestige. And it was the most expensive dye that you could buy uh, for the Israelites. Well, I found in one place it says, in ancient Rome, purple dye was made from snails by boiling them in lead vats. And the purple dye was extracted from the snails to make Tyrian purple. Hmm. So James said, moths have eaten your clothes. So now they're going to look normal, just like you and me. Verse 3 says, your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Okay, your gold and silver are corroded. You don't see it anymore. I mean, it's gone. You know, you just don't see a lot of silver out there. You know, maybe the the family uh, silver set that's been passed down from your grandmother, great grandmother. Uh, this silver that sometimes people uh, still give as wedding gifts. I think more uh, wedding gifts are gift cards or cash anymore. But that silver, you know, if you don't keep it polished, it doesn't look very nice. It doesn't look valuable, that's for sure. So how will the corrosion testify against the rich? Like the end of the verse says, you have hoarded. Okay, you've heaped, you've stored up, you know, you've tried to get as much as you can in any ways that you can. Sometimes we hear about people that, that they, they looked poor. You know, they drove old vehicles and their clothes, you know, were out of date and, you know, some of it patched up or whatever. 
And then after that person dies, they, somebody goes into the house, you know, maybe a relative or whoever, and finds thousands or maybe even millions of dollars in cash just stashed away. Now, you just think of the good that they could have done with that money over the years, that they were hoarding it, that they were uh, stashing it for themselves, thinking, I guess, that they might need it someday and didn't trust the banks to keep it, and so they just stuck it in their mattress or whatever. I know her uh, one daughter-in-law, she had a, I believe it was her grandmother that passed away not too long ago, and her and some other members of the family went to her house, and they found money stashed everywhere. I mean, in, in bowls, in desks, in cabinets, you name it. She said there was just thousands of dollars that she had stashed away. Verse 4 says, Look, the wages you failed to pay, the workers who mowed your fields, are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. Often the rich don't want to pay the premium price. That's how some of them get rich. But they want to sell for the premium price. You know, like the saying goes, buy low and sell high. And that's certainly what they want to do. You know, And I know that uh, farm laborers, uh, servers in restaurants, uh, those people that work in gas stations or the convenience stores, you know, they're really not getting paid the wage that they should for the stuff that they do. Now, we see more and more wages that are going up because they're just trying to get people to work uh, because for whatever reason, well, I know the reasons, but I won't go there. Uh, people would rather stay home than get a job. But take special note of the second part of the verse. It says, the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. God hears. Okay, when we cry out to him, God hears. More importantly, God listens. Okay, big difference between hearing and listening. But more important than that is God acts. God's going to do something about it. Now, I'm not saying God's going to get you a raise because you think you need to have a raise. Maybe he will. But he will deal with people, with those who could be giving you a raise, and for whatever reason, they're not. Okay, or instead sticking more money in their pockets. Verse 5, You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. Luxury and self-indulgence. The lifestyle that we may think we want to enjoy. But it's going to come back to bite you. And the day of slaughter, that certainly doesn't sound good. When is that day? Well, <laughs> we don't know. But we do know it's going to be the day of judgment. And to fatten yourselves goes back to the gold and silver and the purple. Verse 6, you know, it sounds like it may be talking about Jesus' arrest and death. But I think it's talking more about that time of life. Remember, James is writing about 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. 
So I believe he's talking about how the, the rich controlled the judicial system. They, whoever they wanted to have arrested, they just have arrested. And they would make sure that sentences were carried out that were probably more than what they should have been. So remember, like I said, James is writing this after Jesus. And the innocent one, you know, it's not Jesus, it's that guy trying to eke out a living for his family and himself, trying to stay out of jail. Okay, we find David talking about some pro problems with wealth. In Psalm 62, verse 10, it says, Don't trust in extortion or put vain hope in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, they do not set... Do not set your heart on them. Okay, the Hebrew word there for extortion is unfairly gained, deceitfully gotten. Unfortunately, we hear of that way way too often. Well, starting in verse 7, James is going in a different direction. Verses 7 and 8, he starts out with a real toughie. Okay, just the first two words. Be patient. Okay. He says, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the field to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains? You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Be patient. Two times James tells us that. How hard is that? It's certainly not what we want to hear. Okay, what did Jesus say about his coming back? Okay, Matthew 24, 44. Jesus said, therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the day of the Lord will come. Be patient. Luke twelve forty. You also must be ready when the Son of Man will come at an hour that you do not expect him. Be patient. So, what did Jesus say about his coming again? You got to be patient. You got to be ready. Okay, in verse 9, James says, Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Who is the judge? That's James's big brother. Then James gives us some good news. Okay, and through this, you can finally say, Oh, wow, thanks, James. Waited through all of the bad news. Thank you for some good news. It says, Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance, and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Praise God for his compassion and his mercy. Without it, we'd all be on our way to hell. The patience of Job. Hmm. How many times have you heard that? Even from non-believers. They don't know what that really means, 
just this guy in the Bible, I guess he was really patient. And they probably pronounce it Job instead of Job. But we just got done reading through Job. And let me tell you, he was one patient man. He was patient with God, for starters. And then he was patient with Eliphaz, and Bildad, and Zophar, and Elihu, those four accusing friends, quote-unquote, that were there to help him, or so they thought. And he was patient with his wife, okay, because his wife kept saying, you know, you don't have to go through this, just curse God and die. Not the kind of stuff that I would like to hear from my wife. Verse 12 is another statement that we may be familiar with. It says, Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Jesus spoke about this in Matthew 5, beginning in verse 33. He said, Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows that you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Some of us may be able to remember when your yes and no really meant something. When a handshake meant, you know, you were in agreement. And so those were days gone by because it got lost somewhere in there. But according to the Lord, it still counts. And so I need to remember that. And like Jesus said, anything beyond, in other words, anything beyond your yes or no, comes from the evil one. Okay? Satan's going to get himself in there somehow. The last section of the chapter is often used or spoken about. It comes from James and begins with three questions. And he answers each of those questions. In verses 13 and 14, James asks, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is any among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Well, let's look at these questions and answers that James gives us. Okay, the first one is, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Okay, maybe if we did a little more praying, we'd be in less trouble. But we know that not all trouble comes from ourselves, that it can come from where we work or go to school or uh, in our home life and the abuse or neglect that's there. And so 
there's trouble that's not of our own making. But no matter where the trouble comes from, we know that prayer is certainly needed. Okay, the second question was, is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Well, the songs of praise that James is referring to is the Psalms. So there's 150 to choose from. I don't think I'd want to sing Psalm 119, um, maybe with an intermission in there. But there's some other psalms in there that, yeah, they're really not songs of praise. Uh, there's some that start out with, you know, where are you, Lord? But they end up with praise. Well, the third one is, is any among you sick? Now, this answer that he gave is a little bit longer because he says, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Okay, the elders sometimes means the Sanhedrin. Uh, here it, it means part of the, the, the council or leader in the church. Uh, in First Timothy, Paul calls this person the overseer. Now, the anointing with oil. This can be seen in two different ways. Oil was often used for medicinal purposes. You remember the Good Samaritan? Okay, after those two good Jews walked by this guy that had gotten beat up, and the Good Samaritan came along. Okay, in Luke chapter 10, verse 34, it says he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Okay, good guy. John the Baptist, you know, he was uh, getting called out because he was anointing the sick. Okay, and the second way oil could be used was to anoint leaders. Exodus 29, verses 7 and 9. The Lord says, Take the anointing oil and anoint him, meaning Aaron, by pouring it on his head. Then you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. Okay, so this is part of the Lord's uh, instructions that we find in Exodus uh, concerning the tabernacle. And there's chapter after chapter. Uh, again, you know, how big and how long and uh, this kind of material. Well, he knew it was important that they knew what they needed to be doing with their church leaders. Excuse me. So we can assume that James is talking about the first one, the medicinal purposes. <coughs> okay, in verse 15 and 16, it says, And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Offered in faith. you got to believe if you think it's going to happen. Okay, you can't just pray and say, well, I prayed. You know, now I'll go back and try to do my own thing. And James says to confess your sins to each other. Now, that's not an easy task. Not something that you want to stand up in church on a Sunday morning 
and start telling people all of your sins. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's where small groups really become beneficial. Because in a group of 8, 10, 12 people, you, you gain the confidence that you would need to be able to confess your sins to someone else. Because you get to know those in your group and you gain the trust and you gain the respect of these people. And so that's, that's the place to be doing that. Verses 17 and 18, James is giving an example of praying in faith. He says, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Man, that, that man could pray. It says he prayed earnestly. Okay, that means that he prayed sincerely. He prayed intently. He prayed solemnly. He prayed uh, eagerly, uh, zealously. Okay, he knew what he needed to do. Boy, to have that kind of faith, that's the guy that you want to have praying for yourself. James concludes the chapter and the book like this, in verses 19 and 20. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. We're called to look out for one another. We're called to pray for one another. And sometimes, lovingly, remember that word, lovingly, point out where a brother or sister is, is having problems or where we can see that they're straying. Now, you, you do this instead of uh, after the board meeting in the parking lot, you get together with whoever and say, oh, did you know, you know, they're doing this and they're going there and, you know, I heard this. No, you go to them that's doing the, the sinning, and you say, hey, you know, I'm hearing this, you know, and it just didn't sound like you. Well, we made it through the Messiah's brother. And hopefully, James is going to help us grow into who God needs us to be. Let's pray. Father, I just give you hope, or give you thanks for the, the hope that we receive from you and your word. Lord, just help us to uh, listen to uh, anything that we read, anything that we hear that comes from you, and put it into practice in our lives. And sometimes that's really not a very easy thing to do. That sometimes you call us to do something that we say, you know, you want me to do what, Lord? Well, Lord, help us to understand that those difficult things are going to be the things that will help us to grow the most. And Lord, they'll bring us that much closer to you. But Father, if there's anyone that's listening that has never made a commitment to you, that doesn't know about this anointing oil stuff, and, you know, what about these rich people? And, you know, what about this praying, you know, so much? Well, Lord, let them know that what they need is not what they've been looking for. And we need to find what they need, and let them know that they'll only be happy with Jesus Christ and to make that commitment to him. So, Father, let them 
pray like this. Dear Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. Thank you for sending Jesus to save me from my sins. Lord, I turn over my life and ask your Holy Spirit to be my guide. Father, I give you thanks that you love me that much. In Jesus' name, amen.